turn to. All right, it says, oh, I got to turn it on. All right. Genesis chapter one. I know your bulletin says we're only going through verse three, but let's go through verse five. Hear the word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Let us pray. Lord, show us your glory. Show us your patterns of how you work to conform us into your image. Lord, show us our need for you. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. So, the first time that I preached from this passage, I was preaching at North Fort Hood, Texas. It's called something else now. I, I won't say it in public because I, I can't. I can't wrap my head around the fact that we have to change the names of historic uh, bases in the United States military. But so I haven't learned the name. That's the bottom line. But I was preaching at North Fort Hood to a group of soldiers who were getting ready to deploy all over the globe. Some were going to places where uh, you have maybe only recently heard of uh, conflict. Some were going into the midst of conflict. Others, like us, were potentially going to, to support. Well, we were going to support our allies. But we didn't know what might happen. And as a matter of fact, things got fairly hairy while we were there. And I had an opportunity to preach this sermon yet again, or this, this passage yet again, as tensions arose across the Ukraine border from where we were in Poland. But you might ask, well, what in the world does the creation story have to do with me here and now? What does it have to do with Southwest Harbor Congregational Church? Well, I would ask you these questions. What scares you? What has you worried as you are part of a congregation in the hopes of finding another pastor? Maybe it's a marriage relationship. Maybe it's family members. Maybe there's chaos in your life. Well, I want to tell you this. Moses wrote the book of Genesis for people just like us, a people who were afraid. They were crying out for deliverance. But Moses had a, this was not an accident. What Moses wrote in the book of Genesis was no accident. It was not, he did not write 
a how-to book, or not a how-to book, but a, uh, a scientific book on how God created the world that wasn't his purpose, so we could have all kinds of arguments about whether it was a six-day creation or whether it was much longer than that. But that was not Moses' purpose. Moses' writings mirrored the literary structures of other writings that he was familiar with, that he had contact with as he lived in the house of Pharaoh. He was an educated man, and he was he had access to stories like the, uh, the Atrocis epic that basically put all stories, see everybody had a story as to how we got here, where we came from, and how things got so bad, and what the gods are doing to fix it. Everybody else in the world had that story. But Moses writes the correction to all those stories. He talks about the creation of humanity. He talks about the corruption of humanity. He talks about the flood of judgment. It is not a loose collection of passages. It is indeed a single storyline. And oh, by the way, it is a preamble to the law of God, the covenant that God made with his people. So it is for us scripture. It is a covenant story. And our target passage this morning is at the very beginning of that story. And I want Take a side note here and say every one of us live out of a story. We all have a basic philosophy of life, that philosophy that tells us where we came from. How did we get here? What happened? How did things get so messed up and what has God done to fix it? We all live out of a story and whether Whatever story you believe is your functional life philosophy. Our story as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and believers in a creator God is that it's a story of God's people in God's garden temple that he created and that we were to take care of that garden temple. That was our purpose. Now I want you to note also evolution is a story. It is a story of how we got here. It is a story of how things are all messed up. And basically, it's because that's just who we are. And the end of the story is abysmal. The end of the evolution story is not a gospel. It is an anti-gospel. It is bad news. Evolution tells a story that someday the sun's going to blow up. And all the planets are going to be uh, are going to be destroyed, and no one is going to be left to remember anything, whether you did it, whether you did something good or whether you did something bad. Folks, that is not good news. That is horrible news. We serve a God who created us for a good purpose, and we, yes, we we sinned. Things became formless and empty. In Deuteronomy, Moses draws the connection between the Exodus story and the creation story. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, he says it's the only other place other than Genesis where Moses uses the terms formless 
and void and hovering, that the Spirit of God hovered over the formlessness and the emptiness. Moses applied this term to the foreign, the barrenness and formlessness to Egypt, and he used the term hover to refer to the pillar of smoke and fire that led Israel to the promised land. God's work of creation is a prototype to of what he did by bringing Israel out of Egypt. It was, in fact, a mighty act of God. So, what is the story here? Israel, the problem was Israel was crying out for deliverance, yet they were fearful of change. Well, folks, they were fearful of leaving the comforts of slavery. Now, yes, it's an oxymoron. They were crying out to God for deliverance from and fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. But folks, you know, we're not so different from they uh, from from the children of Israel. We too become fearful when God exposes our chaos in our lives personally and in our lives as a church. We have a tendency to wish for what was rather than looking forward to where God is taking us. When our comforts are taken away, our lives seem like they're falling apart, and yet they don't disintegrate entirely, do they? You see, the solution is this. We have the word of God who was made flesh. The New Testament writers reveal to us that the word of God, which brought light into the chaos, became flesh and entered our darkness and entered our chaos. And his spirit holds us together. His spirit is holding together Southwest Harbor Congregational Church. His word exposes the chaos in our lives and then moves graciously to bring order to it. And so as a result of looking at this text this morning, what I hope and pray for is that we would take joy in the knowledge that God is in control. And then he not only loves you, he likes you and likes having you around. That's the God we serve. A God who loves us so much that he was literally torn apart for you and for me. So, I'd like to, uh, in the remaining moments we have this morning, I'd like to talk, talk about how does God work in the lives of his people. And I want to, I want to talk about this, this question. I want to answer this question in, in three ways. Number one, I want to show you that God sustains us by his presence. That God exposes us, exposes our sin and chaos by his word and then orders our lives by that same word. I think Genesis gives us a pattern on how God works in the lives of his people to conform them in the image of his son. So let's jump into it. The presence of God. God sustains us by his presence. Genesis starts out with a declaration. It doesn't start out with proof. It just says simply, God was there in the beginning. That this story begins in the beginning that God, and the word here is plural, Elohim is 
plural in Hebrew. Now, we're not talking about gods. We're not talking about, you know, any any kind of a heresy like that. But I do want you to notice, first of all, the plural here. So in so it's plural. It's kind of an oddity in that God's created singular the heavens and the earth. Now, it may merely indicate the otherness and the supreme majesty of God. But for us who have read the rest of the story, who know the rest of the story, for us it's an implication of the plurality of the Godhead. The triune God was entirely present and active in the creation of the world. Even in just the very first few verses, we have the implication of the Father and the Son. God said, the Word became flesh. God's Word spoke. And Hebrews tells us that in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. And then the Holy Spirit, the, the, the Spirit of God. John refers to this both in his gospel and in his first epistle. He says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then he goes in, in 1 John, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon in our hands of handled, Concerning the word of life. I also want you to notice that created, that word created, it's only used in that first verse, first couple of verses, and it's not used again until verse 26. Because everything else God did, he did by his word. But there's something else here that I want to draw your attention to, and it's another Hebrew oddity. In Hebrew, being verbs, so is, was, will be, are not always necessary. But there's something here that I want you to, I want you to maybe even underline. The earth became, or was, formless and void. This particular word here is also used as in God's command when he says in a subjunctive way, he says, let there be light. But it's absent from verse uh, from verse two when describing the presence of the darkness over the surface of the deep. So let's assume for a moment that the earth became something that God didn't intend it to be, that it became confusion that it became formlessness and, un, and unreality and emptiness. And remember that Moses used this word in connection to, to connecting the creation story to Israel's experience of God leading them out of Egypt. But listen, God does not leave us hopeless here. For the good news is that God's Spirit was there in the midst of the darkness, hovering over the waters of chaos and nothing and nothingness poised to act. Psalm 104 verse 30 says this, When you send forth your spirit, 
When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. You see, even the, the psalmist recognizes the Spirit of God as the agent of creation. And the fact that chaos does not annihilate itself into nothingness is a work of the Spirit of God. The fact that God's Spirit was present in the midst of the darkness, hovering over the chaos of the sea, creates a hope that will shortly be realized. So... How do, we, how do we apply this? What is the message here for a church on the coast of Maine that has lost some of its key leaders? What is God saying to a people who are perhaps fearful and lost? Fearful about their future. The first thing is this. The God who created the heavens and the earth out of nothing has also created a people for his existence, for his, for his pleasure, for his glory. And he not only loves you, he likes you. Just as he was with Israel in their dark times again and again, he is with you, Southwest Harbor Congregational Church, even now. God is the ultimate and powerful triune deity who comes to be present with us. He's not a wind it up and leave it God, nor is he the God who might be forgiving, the God of Islam, who might be forgiving, might not be. That's not our God. He is with you. He holds us together, even though it looks like all is falling apart, and his presence is a great hope and comfort to his people. Now, how does God do his best work? Well, let's talk about that. Number two, God exposes the God who is present with us in our darkness is also the one who first exposes the darkness. God rarely fixes something that he doesn't first expose that needs fixing. Instead of immediately making all things right and in order, he exposes the chaos to the light of day by his word and by his spirit. And God said let there be light. And there was light. Before God begins to order the chaos, he exposes it with the light of his word and his presence. The chaos is seen for what it is. Formless, unreality, confusion. And then God said, he saw, well, actually the word says he saw the light. Verse 4 he saw the light because it was a good thing. This word is, is, is a word that's used to talk about the benefit. A, a, it was a benefit for the welfare of God's creation. It was a pleasant and agreeable thing. John Calvin comments on this verse and he says, Here God is introduced by Moses as surveying his work that he might take pleasure in it. But he does it for our sake to teach us that God has made nothing without a certain reason and design. And we ought not so to understand the words of Moses as if God didn't know 
that his work was good till it was finished. But the meaning of the passage is that the work, such as we now see it, was approved by God. Therefore, nothing remains for us but to acquiesce in this judgment of God. Yes, certainly God took pleasure in seeing the light, but I think it was more. God saw the light as a benefit for wealth, for the welfare of mankind, for the welfare of the world. It is good. The Apostle John says that the light exists in God himself. He says this is the message we have heard from him. First John 1 John 1.5 And proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And then God, John goes on to give us application for the good and benefit for all, for the welfare of men, of sinful men. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and his truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's word defines sin and exposes it. True change can only come not by not by coming up with coming up with strategies to make yourself less sinful, to make yourself do less sin. It comes by running to God, running to the light as opposed to running away from it. The light of God's word exposes us. First of all, it defines chaos and sin. It exposes the chaos in us and the chaos around us. It is the word of God accompanied by the spirit of God that creates faith in us to believe what God's word says about us and encourages us to run to him and cling to him. It is a good thing for God's people to continually be exposed by the light of his word and the work of the spirit in bringing opportunities. We were talking about this in Sunday school this morning. We didn't use this word, but it's opportunities for repentance. That's what conflict is, brother. Opportunities for repentance. It is a good thing. Repentance is not, let me, you know, we often think about repentance, and I know I have a tendency to do this as well, as break glass in case of emergency. We don't want to repent. We want to try and, and make ourselves right to justify ourselves. Or if we go and confess our sin, it's, it's, it's in order to, to assuage our guilt. I think Ken Sandy talks about that in the book as well. To assuage our guilt or to make our consequences less. But no, no, repentance is not break glass in case of emergency. Repentance is like picking up a cell phone and texting your dad. Saying, Father, I messed up. 
I am so, so glad that you do not count my sins against me, that you have fully paid for all my sin. Folks, Jesus paid for them all. Tetelestai, it is finished, is a word that's an accounting term. Jesus has the invoice of every sin you've ever committed and will ever commit, and he's paid for it all. And repentance is little more than running back to him and saying, I'm so glad I don't get what I deserve. That's repentance. I'm so glad you got me covered. Repentance is not something we do when all else fails. It's the Christian way of life. So here's a question this morning. What is God doing in exposing in your life? There's an old hymn that says, If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. God is with us. God is sustaining us, even though we feel like we are falling apart. He works by his word and by his spirit to first bring light into our lives to expose sin and chaos. And then finally, he does this. God's word and spirit order the chaos. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. You know, I don't think we... Ever? I don't think I, let me, let me just use myself, I don't think I have ever taken the time to think about the fact that God is the one who made it so light drives away darkness. It is God who put the separation between light and darkness so that when there is light, there can't be darkness to the edges of that light. God divided. He made an interval between light and an interval of of darkness, He separated the light from the darkness by His Word. Not only that, He called it. He named it. He named the light day and the darkness He called night. This word call means to assign a specific proper name, whether to something or to oneself. We take for granted that the light is good and that the sun is warm. We take for granted that the light comes from the sun and when the sun sets, there's darkness or night. But Moses says that the concept, the very concept of light and darkness are both a creation of our heavenly father. God called the light after speaking it into existence. He made the light drive away darkness by dividing and making an interval between the light of day and the darkness of night. Hebrews chapter 11 says this, The word of God calls things that don't exist into being. There was nothing, there was no pre-existing material out of which he created. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6 says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Folks, the one who brings light upon our chaos is the one who brings order to the chaos by his powerful word. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from our sin. So, 
How do we apply this? Genesis is the good news story of the covenant. The question we could ask, did God create a formless and empty world or did it devolve into that condition? Well, here's the answer. It doesn't really matter. I don't care what your position is on creation. The, tr- the point is, this is a gospel announced to a people enslaved by the Egyptians. The Egyptians believed a story that they are a great people and that their Pharaoh is a son of the gods. Their gods are more powerful than all other gods of all the other nations. But Moses says, uh-uh, that's not true. Moses says the God of Israel created the very concept of light and he separated light from darkness. The Egyptians worshipped the sun and gave it a name and gave it personal qualities such as the source of all light. But God says, but Moses says God himself created light apart from any heavenly bodies. In fact, God created all the objects of the Egyptians that they worship, and he's Lord of them all. Another, another thought from John Calvin. He says it doesn't matter. It, it did not, however, happen from inconsideration or by accident that the light preceded by the sun preceded the sun and the moon. To nothing are we more prone than to tie down the power of God to those instruments. The agencies of which he employs, the sun and the moon supply us with light. And according to our notions, so we we include this power to give light in them, that if they were taken away from the world, it would seem impossible for any light to remain. But that's not the story. The Lord himself is our light. This calls to mind what the Apostle John wrote in Revelation chapter 21. He says, and the city you know that city of which you are uh, of which you are a citizen that city we're looking for that's that's a creation of god the city that is also a garden that god is bringing us back to and the city has no need of the sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of god gives it light and its lamp is the lamb folks How do we wrap this up? What is the message here for a church on the coast of Maine? What is God saying to a people who feel lost, alone, perhaps even fearful about their future as a church? First, the God who created the heavens and the earth out of nothing has also created you. His word formed Southwest Harbor Congregational Church and his word will sustain it. His word will grow her. He not only loves us. He likes us. He has made you to live in a beautiful environment and provided for you live in his favor and love. And second, it says this. Jesus holds you together. No matter how chaotic your personal or your corporate life is, just as God's spirit was present in the darkness, sustaining the chaos and hovering over it, poised to act, he is with you and holding you together.
Third, you're not alone. You're not alone in your confusion. You're not alone in the darkness and emptiness. The confusion has always been there. Chaos has always existed. And you may have been unaware of it. But now it's exposed. God brings situations. God brings conflict into our lives to expose more darkness. Folks, the gospel says this. Cheer up. You're worse than you think. (laughs) But it also says cheer up. God's grace is greater than you could ever, ever imagine. Now, what is it that you are seeing as your need that God may have already provided? What is the need that God has already already working? He's ahead of you. He's ahead of you working. You know, there is a... There's a story in the next chapter of God saying something is not good. I'm going to give you just a sneak peek. I think that's what I'm going to talk about next week is chapter two, where God said it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper for him. And then without without opening your Bibles, what does God say next? What does God do? The very next thing he does. I've had. Theologians and pastors tell me, well, God takes a rib out of Adam and makes a woman. Now, no, the very next thing God does is draw out that need. He forms the animals, brings them to Adam. There's Mr. Chimpanzee. There's Mrs. Chimpanzee. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. God never. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go be so bold and say God never shows us a need that he hasn't already got a solution in mind for. You know, what is God asking of you? What When we come to the Lord's table, it's a time of remembrance, a time of repentance even, a corporate time where we repent together. Are you seeing your own need daily? For his light and his grace, the light that brings the truth and exposes our need for grace. Here's what I mean. In Romans chapter one, verses 16 and 17, it says that the gospel read the word of God. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Are you seeing your own need for grace or are you like the rest of the world covering up and hoping to make yourself better? God exposes my need for Christ daily. As I was preparing this sermon, my emptiness had been exposed. I'm tempted to find my identity in my work. I didn't share that. I didn't share this morning because I was already going to share. I'm tempted to find my identity in my work. I'm an auto technician. I know we've got another fellow car guy here somewhere. Uh, I I resonate with you, brother. Uh, I ordered a bunch of parts and put them on this car, getting it ready for a state inspection before I ever drove it to realize it had a transmission problem. 
that may make my efforts and my expenditures a waste of money, a waste of time. What kind of a mechanic am I? How can I go back to my customer and say I messed up? My first instinct is to lay the blame on the car manufacturer. It is a Ford, after all. And I curse the manufacturer, and rather than cry out to my big brother Jesus for wisdom and mercy, he brought me into relationship with this customer and has promised to be with me, even if I'm working on a rotten Ford. Folks, my identity is not in my work. My identity, as, as satisfying as that work is some of the time, but in that moment, my functional God was my reputation and cursed the one who would tarnish it. I had forgotten that my identity has already been given to me, that the God who hovered over the chaos exposed it by his light and called me by his grace, not on the basis of my performance, but by his grace. He has been faithful to his covenant and has created faith in me through the hearing the call of his word accompanied by his spirit. Folks, is that your daily path? As we come to the Lord's table this morning, I pray that it would be a reminder to you that we daily need grace. Let's pray. Lord, I heard one gentleman tell me once, Lord, that, oh man, I wish I was better than this by now, but Lord, (laughs) if I'm better at all, it is because of your spirit working in me, that which is pleasing in your sight. So, Lord, help us all to be dependent upon you, to not rely upon our own efforts, but to embrace your light shining on the chaos, that we may see our need and run to our Heavenly Father, who loves us more than we can imagine. Lord, May this table be a reminder of that. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.